Hello, everybody. Kevin Markwick here. And uh, welcome along to the first in a whole new series of podcasts, which I've put together because the world needs more podcasts. I'm going to be talking to lots and lots of interesting people. I've changed the title. It's now The Sound of the Picture House, which could cover a multitude of sins. I don't care. It's it's our podcast. We can do what the hell we like with it. The first show, which I hope you will enjoy, uh, we had a lot of fun recording it, is um, basically uh, Phil Lott, who is a film and TV producer and director, photographer in Los Angeles. Um, he's a dear, dear friend. We've made films together over the years and uh, got up to all sorts of hijinks one way and another. And he's going to be joining me hopefully for quite a few of the podcasts um, and we can make them quite transatlantic, sometimes from L.A., sometimes from Uckfield. From Uckfield to L.A. Maybe we should have called it that. Does that sound a bit wanky, though? Probably. Anyway, the first one is part one of our trawl through what we thought was some of the best film music of 2020. Now, I know we're a bit late. It's uh, receding into the back actually not even very fast it's receding very slowly into the background on account of january seeming to take forever anyway this is part one inevitably because we tend to ramble on uh we've forgotten to give you some of the information uh, about some of the films and the composers and the various things and bits and pieces so i'll uh, hopefully fill that in for you at the end but i do hope you enjoy it uh this is part one of phil and i's trawl through the music of 2020 so what we thought we'd do is, yeah, just have a quick trawl through that. And I mean, you came up with, what was it, two or three hours worth? I did. I wasn't very decisive, was I? No, Sorry. Uh, that's fine. Because um, it's impossible anyway, isn't it, to pick the best? Are these well, the it was best? also, I think if you like a soundtrack, you like several tracks on the soundtrack. So that was, I wasn't very fair. I just put like five tracks on the same. Yeah, no, that's song. okay. But I was just thinking that actually soundtrack albums. Now I'm no expert. I don't know whether you would count yourself. I can't speak for you, but I can't, I can't say I'm an expert on film music. Either it's I form wouldn't. or it's, <laughs> would you, would you say you're an expert? I would not say I'm an expert, but I would no. say I have, uh, I think you are protesting too much i think you no no uh, no i really talked not. about soundtracks since we were yes. young yes well that's true that is yes i would i would hasten to add everybody that i'm actually the uh the the older man in this relationship <laughs> um only by about 10 or 12 years um yes. but uh maybe a bit more i don't know actually. but i think you uh you and i shared that thing that you talked about which is when we were younger with kids and you didn't have yeah. a vhs player at home and that was the only way that of was connecting it, yeah. with the film would yeah. be the soundtrack absolutely and absolutely i was very lucky to have decca records double cassette box sets that ah. were available at dixon's or whatever it was back in the day right at langley shopping center yeah <laughs> <laughs> i used to go and buy my what, 199 yeah i think cause it, it was the only way of owning a bit of the film wasn't it it was the soundtrack yeah and, yeah, and I haven't seen many, most of the films I was listening to the soundtracks of. Yeah, but what... Especially like John Barry's, you know, double album. And yeah, I, I had James the... Bond um, films, but I didn't know many, many more. No, to be fair, no. I mean, John Williams loomed large pretty early on. Um, and I would say John Barry, definitely. Um, what I did have was those Jeff Love albums. Do <laughs> <laughs> you remember? I mean, it's not the authentic soundtrack album, but... When there was, again, no other way of affording, you know... Exp and actually, soundtrack albums were more difficult to source at that point. It wasn't like, you know, we didn't have, obviously, streaming 
obviously. But, um, right. you know... Uh, you didn't? No, funnily enough. Oh, well, back in well, the 1970s and early 80s. Um, but, uh, yeah, the Jeff Love ones, like the big terror movie themes and um, the big war themes and that kind of stuff. You know, I wasn't going to buy... I, I couldn't get hold of the soundtrack for Where Eagles Dare, but I could get it on the Jeff Love compilation album, and it was now, the Jeff Love compilation yeah. album, was that, was that walking music? Was that playing in the foyer? We did also use it in the theatre as well, yeah, to be fair. Um, but, no, the one I had with the the, the big... Um, what's the name? Um, terror movie themes had a slightly pony version of Jaws on it. <laughs> which just... I think there's... I don't think... It's, whenever you hear the opening theme of Jaws played on anything other than the soundtrack album. It's never right, is it? It just isn't right. There's something about it. I mean, because there's a lot of albums by the, by various orchestras that are brilliant, but the Jaws theme never seems to work for anything other uh, yeah. than that original recording. Why do you think that is? Do you I think it's actually know. a physical recording thing, or do you think they're just doing a slightly cheaper key? I don't know. Saves them the money I for doing know. it. I really don't know what it is, but it's not right. And so, actually, the album then improved after that, and there was the Poseidon Adventure and the Towering Inferno and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so, but what actually, what one of the things I, I wanted to bring up, just as a point of interest, particularly with these scores and that we're going through now, uh, is that um, it's you get a, 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 a soundtrack album now is, you know, quite often hellishly long, and full of very short cues, isn't it? Yes, which I'm. Yeah, I would well, admit to liking <laughs> quite a lot. <laughs> well, that's fine, and there's nothing wrong with it. But actually, sometimes I miss going back to the John Williams and the early uh, scores that I bought, like the Jaws score, for instance, and the Close yes. Encounters score. They were sort of amalgams, weren't they? Of the right of all the cues. Yes, you're totally right. And they were the, they were never always. They, they were definitely recorded for the. Oh, definitely. It seemed like they were mixed or recorded especially for the album. They didn't yeah, seem to be. Yeah. So it's like the a track they yeah. took straight from the. So it's like a sort of the, potted version of all the cues that were in the in the film. Yes, and so you. That was and, my nineteen seventies joke about Avids and. Oh, Steve was Lake. it? <laughs> Not a good one. Don't don't really to go with it. But um, what I mean is that it actually, in a way, had an arc in the same way that the film had. They'd kind of constructed yes. this soundtrack album, so it started with the you know opening credit main theme and would end with the end credit music. And it was only really yeah. later on because uh, I, I, it took me because Jaws was one of the first soundtrack albums I bought with my own money, and um, it took me ages uh, online to find that. I've got, I've still got the the album itself on the MCA label, on you know, the vinyl album. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. is it the double album? No, no, no. It was one out. It was one, and it had the the, the, the tracks that you you know that you that you that you like on it. You know. Two barrel the chase or one barrel chase or whatever it's called, and yeah. you know tourists on the menu and and all that kind of stuff. Um, but when I came online to to look at it online, like on Spotify or that, it's now this kind of album that's like four hours long. Of all yes, the every tiny single cues. little piece of instrumental music, incidental music, yeah, yeah, that sort of the, the helped play them in from the bathroom into the living room. Yeah, yeah, and that's. <laughs> That's yes. every single piece. Which, by the way, again, I'm totally fine with. Yeah, well, no, that's fine. That's right. fine. But actually, I'm not so hardcore, so I quite like that sort of, you know. Okay, give me the, give me the, um, give me the, 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 what's the, what do you call those books? Potted version. Yeah. What do you give call me the those cliff books? notes? Yeah. Version. Give me the cliff notes. 
Because <laughs> <laughs> you've got, yes, you've got way more. And it does require, a, a, I mean, some of those soundtrack albums, it requires an element of patience. Anyway, so uh, you've seen the list that we that I, I ultimately put the playlist together because someone's got to do it. You did. If I was going to the European Parliament, there are yes. a couple that I might fight for. Really? That, that didn't Aww. make it yet. But we can talk about that later. Um, As we get to them, there's a lot of very good music on here, which I love. And I think really does represent yeah, yeah. what we were talking yeah, about, yeah. which is and a also, great And also, it's also fairly broad. I think a lot of, most people will have heard of most of these films, won't they? There are a couple I had to watch this week. <laughs> I must admit. Did I put it in there? Oh yeah, the the only one I don't think I, I there's only one I haven't seen, and but I love the music so much I thought yeah let's have it in there. Oh which one? And that's the um, Marco Beltrami music from Underwater. Um, yes. But I gather the film's not all that. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yes. <laughs> so uh, the top of the list, if you like, uh, we've got Parasite by uh, Jung J Il. And I can find out nothing about him at all. I'm not sure anything about him, but uh, I guess because it was, I mean, it was kind of effectively the most celebrated film of the year, wasn't it? So it was, yeah. I mean, obviously, we should probably head off at the past the conversation about what mm. constitutes 2020 and what constitutes ah, actually 2019. Yes, because on one side of the Atlantic, it's a different thing than it is from the other side. Of the, yes, because it wasn't released until uh, January in the UK. So we're going we're going on UK time because you know. Deep down, Phil. It's you're, better. You're still, you know, even though you jumped sort of ship. <laughs> saluting doesn't work on you're, radio. You're still, no, it doesn't. You're still uh, still in the, um, you know, you can't, you can put the British in the, no, I don't know. What's it? You can't take the end of that sentence. <laughs> I'm with you. you. Can't, yeah. All right. So uh, this is the music from Parasite.
So that's uh, Jung J. Il's score for Parasite. If that score was for a low-budget indie comedy, so an indie movie set in Brighton about a crutchy old authoress right. who's having to share a house with a stupidly optimistic son. Yes. Maybe just got back together. I think he go, yeah, that's great, but not Korean dark cultural parable. Uh, okay, no, I think that's a fair point, and it's probably on the list because it was, yeah, probably a lazy oh, well, choice, to, actually. To, to, to the point, sorry, to be clear, they, I think that's what's cool about it. It's definitely... Uh, surprise you wouldn't expect that and that's just like the rest of the film what it yes it doesn't it doesn't give you any cultural indicators of where the music is coming from does it which i think is very in vogue now i think that's very i think kind of um cultural what's the word um not ambiguity what's the other word agnostic ah culturally agnostic that's a good word i think it's something that a lot of composers talk about um, so the next one uh, on our list is 1917, Thomas Newman. Just amazing. This is, for me, this is my favourite. Is it your favourite of the year, is it? Yeah, oh. totally. And I think I gave you like six Yeah, you did. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I just think, uh, you know, aside from Thomas Newman being, um, you know, uh, at the top of his game and doing all the things that he's known and loved for in his scores which i particularly like um this score i think had a particularly difficult job to do because it was having to help tell the uh the tension that it was having to tell the story of a single shot as we all know the film mm-hmm. was shot on a single shot a lot of the um, anticipation and a lot of the the signifiers you'd normally get with cuts were coming through the music and pacing and i think this did so much the heavy lifting and this is not taking anything away from the filmmaking. It's all part of the big plan. It feels like. I just think that uh, it just pulled off a masterstroke. Yeah, I think um, so. I'm imagining then. I don't know. Maybe we could get him on the show and ask him. Um, Oi, Thomas. Thomas. Hi. He must be around is there he, somewhere. Where is he? Where does he live? Is he up in like the Palisades or somewhere swanky? I think he's probably, probably, in, I think he's probably in a different part of town than I am. <laughs> um... I think they have a Newman wing of Los do they, Angeles. They probably do, yes, yeah. Because actually, he's Hollywood I mean, royalty, isn't he? Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, I want to say that they, I mean, this is, I'm not sure if this is the case, but they record that Thomas Newman has recorded soundtracks yes. on the Alfred Newman stage. Yes, well, Fox, almost certainly, yeah, I would have thought. Because he, yeah, it was his, it's his father or his grandfather? Let, must be his, uh, yeah, no, it must be his father, surely. Father, oh, I think man, a, we I should think know a, this one. Well, there's also Randy as well. Oh, which, Randy, yeah. Yeah, because he's yeah they, he wrote the um, Fox fanfare and everything, didn't he? He was like the biggest big composer of big composers, so um, it's in the blood. But what I'm curious about, going back to what you just said, is whether he record, you know, how much of the score because scores are probably the last thing to go in the picture, aren't they? I mean, they're the last bit often. Yes, you know, they're shown a, a, a I was going to say VHS, but they probably. Oh, VHS now. Oh, granddad. Woofers and tweeters. Um, uh, you know, they're showing the film right at the, pretty much at the, in the last month or two, aren't they? After. Yeah, I want to say, though, I want to say that may not have been the case with this one. I don't, I kind of. Yeah, last but, year, my, my 1917 knowledge was. Yeah, no, no, no. I think it's fascinating. But, um, and I think we need to ask him that question. Yes. But, but in I, the meantime. Yes, it, well, you remember all those. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. you remember all those stories of. You know, during the rehearsals with a camera, right in a field for weeks, 
Yes. So they could figure out how long the set needs to be, which I think was brilliant. It is brilliant. Second it, level right there. It's very Sorry, dazzling, think... isn't it? So again, well, we so watched again. it again the other night. The film is very dazzling. And I just wonder sometimes whether you're you're kind of admiring the dazzlingness of it as opposed to getting drawn into the story. Did, not not to, you, not, not to say that it's it. brilliant. Didn't you forget it after a while? Um yeah, but that kind of makes you wonder why then, doesn't it? They could have saved themselves a lot of bother. I don't know. Look, hey, you know, it's clearly a fantastic film and brilliantly conceived and brilliantly executed. Um, but yeah, it almost it almost felt like, uh, you know, I've got to make this difficult for myself. Or do you think it did add to the story? The way it I flowed? totally think it added to the story. Yeah, I think I also mean, that's entirely legitimate. Yeah. And you, you, I mean, you know more than anyone about film marketing. I yes. think people came to see the film partly because of that because of they'd, they'd heard that yeah that magic of it and also i think you know if you you got a, an incredible director coming from theater mm. uh, i think the idea of actually kind of putting that ultimate dark art to the test in a movie fitting okay that's allowed a good him point. to yep. play out mm. a single kind Brilliant. of emotion yeah. or a single mm. kind of emotional line Yes, because it, yes, it's almost like cinematic theatre in that regard. I mean, there were you know a couple of cheats. I guess there were you know obviously a few cuts in there, but um, I must admit I enjoyed it far more the other night than the first time I saw it, simply because I was just relaxed about. You know, I wasn't trying to work. Okay, come on then, come on then. Where's the cut? Where's the cut? Oh look, that's clever. Look, how do they do that? <laughs> and I was just going with it, so I actually enjoyed it yes. more. More the so, and I think you. I think the score also does a great job of building you to that moment, which obviously the whole film's building to at the end. It does, which is yes. a piece of music. I think you. Yeah, you I have picked that. Yeah, the the, yeah. the final the final piece, the uh, come Where back to us. It's the first piece of music. It's the first piece of music that allows you to relax. It's the first piece of music throughout the film that doesn't have some sort of building tension in it. Oh yeah, it's brilliant. It has that whole ticking clock thing going on all the time. That that's part. Of, yeah, that, 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 and then it releases. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In this track, which that, is that's uh, why I I, I, I kind of picked that because that's the most sort of obviously, um, I mean, it's a beautiful piece of music.
So, uh, Jojo Rabbit next. Third on our list. So we've done Parasite, 1917, and now Jojo Rabbit. And you love this film. Uh, not as much as Oh, that's funny. I, that's my recollection. So that's probably me being old and cranky. Yeah, old and warty. I thought but its I reach exceeded its it grasp. That, that's how I felt about it, generally. That its reach exceeded its grasp. That it was... Um, and I'm, I'm, I maybe it's too, is it too woke of me <laughs> to be uncomfortable about funny nauseas? I'm not, I'm not sure they're funny, are they? I think if you haven't lived in a world with a lower low, then I think <laughs> you're going to be a lot more raw to the situation than some people. But well, but I mean, he's a New Zealand no, I, director. I think, he, I, I think, know. I think you're, you're right, and I think that was the, the central challenge of the film. I think that's what he was trying to achieve. I'm not trying to achieve. I think that's perhaps what he set out to do, which was how can I do this film in the 21st century when, you know, Hmm. times are changing. I think if you're going to do this film, you are as a front and center, you're bringing the challenge to the audience, which is, do you dare me to do this? And I think only he directing it, he writing it and he playing the Hitler role. And I think if you had not had that, I think it would have been a different proposition. And I think also that that also allowed the other actors to come on board and be all in. So I think that gave everyone the confidence that this is a legitimate point of view. Get on board. Hmm. Now, I think this is also a good example of a score, perhaps. Uh, look, I'm, I'm very sensitive. I don't want to suggest that the score is working in, uh, separately to the film because that's not the the composer's job and they would hate you for saying that but i think also a score can exist outside of the film and be enjoyed separately yeah um, <laughs> okay so you of, weren't such a big fan of the score is what you're saying right there i enjoyed uh, the I, score i thought it was good i think i enjoy the score separately and then when i watched the film again this week oh yeah i enjoyed both uh much more right maybe it's just time maybe it's just time maybe maybe you're yeah. right maybe as an audience you don't want to be challenged well yeah i mean this is an interesting thing about movies uh that i'm discovering more and more which is i seem to enjoy them more the second time which is not the plan is it that isn't the plan because a lot of people think i'm insane for watching a film more than once i mean people out in the world of not being obsessed with movies think you're you know oh, i only watch a film once no see a film once is just to like for me, almost these days has become like prepping myself for the second right. time. Totally, <laughs> which is yeah, a bit absolutely. Weird. I couldn't agree more. And I think, do you think it's why? Why do you think that is? Do you think it's because the first time there's so much pressure on it, or you put pressure in? Uh, I'm or... sort of trying to decode it rather than let it mm. come at me, which is not a good habit to have got into. I'm just I'm trying to work it out as I go, rather than just kind of relaxing and let it do right. its thing. I'm sort of trying to work out, which is not not great. Occasionally. And unfortunately, the older I get, the less it happens, um, just because, you know, you've seen more and experienced more. Occasionally, a film is so good, I mean, so good, that that doesn't happen, that I just get totally drawn into it and lose myself completely. But that is happening less and less. And I do think that's that's not necessarily a reflection on the quality of films. It's just a, the fact that I've been around longer. You know, if I was... Interestingly, if you were... 15 watching Jojo Rabbit you might have a completely different response to it but, that's true uh, you know an that's old, really true an old warty 58 year old man <laughs> quite different now so, do you think that obviously um 2020 was a specifically interesting year for movies because of I think pandemic I think well you and I are both um BAFTA voters 
uh, uh, we're lucky to be BAFTA voters and I'm struggling not because of the quality of the film but I'm struggling because of the my perceived lack of cinema this year that's mm-hmm. what I'm I'm struggling with um, there's a lot of very good stuff there but it's not necessarily an enormous amount of really good cinema out there and because it was that, all pulled and, and pushed of off into next year or this year. Or well, next right, year. That's my, that was, that was my yeah. next question, which is, do you think yeah. that, I mean, obviously you have a little bit of insider knowledge. Yes, owning, yes. A, cinema, a cinematograph. Independent cinema. <laughs> um, would you say that's because everyone's holding back their jewels? Yeah, probably. Almost certainly. I mean, the stuff you we, we are looking at and that we've seen, which is great, that you wouldn't have got a chance to see in any normal year because it would have been swamped by everything else. Right, that's interesting um, too. That's a good point. Know, but do you think the the fact that you're not at the BAFTA screening yes, up in London, yes, surrounded by filmmakers, yes. and yeah, having uh, a big experience that you are experiencing films differently, even if you're getting to watch them at the cinema uh, on your own or in no, your well, I, I can't really. It doesn't really work like that. And I can't. Um, no, I just think that we've been served a diet of a different kind of films. I mean, a lot of films that we'll get to later. Um, you know, stuff like possessor and um st maud and things like that which have whilst they're great movies they've been they've been afforded uh an exposure to a to to a larger group of people than than they would in a normal year right i think i think that's what's happened which is a good thing yeah no of course it's a good thing right but i'm still struggling just making sure that's yeah yeah no no no, it's a good thing but i'm struggling to find cinema you know big i mean in 1917 whether you love it or you hate it, is cinema, isn't it? Right. In in For all sure. of its yes. in all of its its brilliantness, it's kind of because it's big screen, scope, loud, big, and, and you know we only really had one of those this year. Yes, that's true. And uh, Jojo, we did really well with Jojo Rabbit. We did yes. really really well. Um, I mean, I, yes, I definitely think that's. I, I mean, I think if you're looking at something else on the list coming up which i'm not sure if that's where you're headed right next but uh, i don't know you're allowed to tenet. say it we don't care uh te- no i don't think i put tenet in did i hang on I let's have a look at the list did. did i no i didn't oh no you didn't not your last list ah. interesting Ooh, controversial Why, what was the um rationale yeah i don't remember <laughs> <laughs>
so the music from Jojo Rabbit there, I think it, um, yeah, I think that represents the film quite well because it kind of does jolly bits and it does sad bits and it, it's. I did too. I think it's, uh, it's, it's absolutely. I mean, it's full of heart. Yes, the whole score is full of heart, and I think the other thing, and I think I'm remembering this from something that he said that that Michael Giancino said, and then mm. in a an interview at some point, he didn't want the score to be funny, and I think that it has replaced all the kind of obvious sort of funny bits with heart and emotion, which yes. uh, just comes through, and, and then it also ends with that sort of brass band. It does, yes. End, <laughs> But I it's think his, his his I I you know in any given year I I always end up buying his scores because they're just just wonderful, and I I have to say it's only in the last three or four years I I've I've kind of been aware I think it was the first Planet of the Apes film that sort of or Star Trek would be Star Trek I suppose no just actually I'm gonna say the Star Trek I mean yeah. uh, obviously he was a long time collaborator with J J Abrams mm. right Super um, Eight he did didn't he I believe and uh, one or two others and Jurassic World Jurassic Ratatouille World. Yeah, going yeah. back as far yeah. but yeah Star Trek I think if you listen to that score that I can't remember which which film it was I think it was the first one um, where he has that sequence where um. In Star oh, Trek, yeah. yeah. What's this? Who flies it? <laughs> Captain Kirk. <laughs> so Sulu. Kirk's dad. Oh, Kirk's, so Kirk's dad. Kirk's yeah, dad yeah. is yeah. trying to save everybody, and his wife's having is in the escape pod, and she's having the baby, and that's going to be Kirk in the alternate JJ universe of Star Trek. Yes. And meanwhile, he's he's coming to terms with the fact he's about his imminent demise, and it's just a heartbreaking piece of music, stunning. Yeah, I thought, and actually, because you're slightly on a hiding to nothing with Star Trek, aren't you? Because you've got that, you know, not only have you got the original Alexander Courage music to live up to, you've also got the, um, you know, what's Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith score to live up to. So that was actually, you know, it could have been a poison chalice. But I love his scores for the Planet of the Apes films. I think they're just wonderful. And of course, um, he broke everyone's heart. His music was just as in, uh, uh, a massive part of that opening 15 minutes of up as mm. um as as the uh, story itself because it's just just it's oh, I'm, I'm i'm welling up just thinking about it <laughs> oh, it's, it's true it's true though. i think actually yeah. i want to say that he he i think tatawai dt called him out of the blue and right. said to him i want hey remember it, i don't think they knew each other before this they hadn't worked right. together before and i think he just called him out of the blue and said hey that thing you did for up can you do that for this film? Right. Yeah. And if you think about a sort of fairy tale about a boy thinking about his imaginary friend. Yes. It's it's definitely in that same zone. There are similarities. Yeah, I think it has a slightly harder edge to it, isn't it? And it ends with, of course, David Bowie in German, which we've seen in, in films quite a lot these days. But um so Jojo Rabbit. Now the next one, this is a film you like more than I did, Greyhound, but I do love that music. I think that music's amazing. Blake yeah, talking Neely. about tension. Yeah, about tension. I mean, this is a film actually talking about twenty twenty. I think, I think this is a, uh, I think it's a masterclass in tension, and I think. So we should um, say this is less well known than Jojo nineteen seventeen and Parasite. This is a film. Tom Hanks is a, um, uh, in the, it's set in World War Two, and Tom Hanks is a uh, the captain. Is he a captain or a commander? Of uh, of a vessel that's um, chaperoning um, the merchant navy across the Atlantic during the Second World War, and they're about to pass the one piece of sea that is unprotected yes. by air cover, yes. and so they're on their own. Mm. 
for I think it's what 37 hours, 36 it's hours, something like hours. That. yeah yeah so and then this is where the wolf pack hunts. yes the uh the u-boats the nazi submarines mm. Mm. and it's, it's wait a minute that's, that's like three world war twos already <laughs> that tells you <laughs> we're like british <laughs> that, that's oh. the british element working here um but no but i mean it's still a uh you know it's still a it's still a thing that that cinema goes back to all the time isn't it i i, I gotta say i i think especially being english and especially <laughs> kind of knowing that how much we love a war film in england mm. it does seem strange how many world war Two movies still get made now, not to say that it wasn't quite an important event in world history, <laughs> but then deserves you know, our, our thinking about and re- yeah. remembering so we don't uh. you know, repeat those mistakes. But I think it is surprising, you know, that that happens. That said, this is a film I think specifically mm-hmm. was perfect for 2020 on account of this is, I think, the first film that was going to have a big Sony release and then... Suddenly, Sony bought it. And, yeah, one of the early then, uh, casualties. Sorry, one of the early moves to streaming, wasn't it? Sorry, my, my mistake. Not yeah. uh, Sony didn't buy it. Apple bought it. Apple did, yeah. And put it as a streamer. But actually, then, talking uh, about the the British, but this is actually an American film about an American ship, isn't it? That's true. Which, which, yes. um, you know, as a, again, as a Brit, sometimes you get a bit mm-hmm, okay. So they they won the war in, didn't they? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the Brits are sort of reduced to these uh, sort of you know they're down at I say, you fellows, you all right over there <laughs> on the intercom, aren't they? <laughs> That's really funny. That's like every I don't did you don't even see them in the film, do you? No, you don't. You just hear them on the other end of the line say, "Well done, Tom Hale, bit of a uh, bit of um, driving a boat there. Well done." <laughs> <laughs> the equivalent of uh, Tom and Jerry's mum. Yeah. Or the lady, the but I, I suppose for me, it was just that it was so all CGI, I think. I mean, not that, you know, come on. Yeah, I can't expect yeah, I, no, to do Totally. This. I couldn't, yeah. And I know that they shot a lot on a real boat and they shot mm. uh, actual water plates and they shot actual stuff and they do all that good stuff you meant to do. But I think you ultimately it did look a little CG, but that's Fake. why I think it was okay that yeah. it was a streamer okay. because it's, you're getting all the things you want. You're getting Tom Hanks... You're getting massive tension, beautifully shot, yes. beautifully covered, beautifully acted. Yeah, and, and I think... Um, great. Simple story, super well told. Yeah, I suppose, again, this is the old and wartiness coming in here, is the fact that, you know, if you want a film about the Atlantic, war in the Atlantic, it's the cruel sea for me, which is right. a different kind of film, of course. There are two types of people <laughs> on this earth. You know, it's the war, the whole bloody war. You know, I mean, that was incredibly uh, incredible film. Anyway, um, so Blake Neely, I'm, I'm, I, again, I, I don't really know much about him at all. He seems to have written I, a lot of telly. I knew him from actually. You can tell us yes. all the stuff that he's done, but oh, he's a sprightly fifty-one. Oh, yeah. There you go. Uh, so let's have a look. Oh, lots of stuff. Lots of additional music. Well, that's a, anyway, a, a is, big tradition, isn't it? Yes, the sort of way in, isn't it? Uh, oh, big, 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 long list of stuff, actually. Uh, okay, so, but one so, of the things about this is rather like you mentioned about the um, score for 1917 is this is a ratcheting up all the time. It ratchets up. This sort of constant. So this is uh, Blake Neely's uh, one of, it's called From Beneath.
So now we're going to move on to uh, Christopher Willis's score for the true history of David Copperfield, which I, I mean, the reason I put this on my list was because it again perfectly encapsulates the film. And, and I was going to ask you because this is one of the films I had to watch this week because ah. I hadn't seen it. Ah, good. That's really and interesting. How did you find it? I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. I actually enjoyed it better than more than the, uh, the Death of Stalin. Right. I thought that we had a. I thought it was. I mean, it was still terrific. It's well made, and it's Amando Benucci, which I think. Yeah, come on. Yeah. You can you know enjoy his films, but um, I thought this was slightly weirdly slightly less mannered than uh death of stalin but what's i i think i just love its kind of breathlessness that's what i love about it it's like this gallop through the story you know because again as any well worldwide we all you know people love dickens but i think particularly in british culture we are rather kind of hammered over the head with it slightly and especially on sunday night telly when you're growing up you know there's another Dickens. i mean not so much now but certainly through the uh, 70s and 80s there was a lot of dickens uh, on the television um, and there is a tradition in British cinema particularly of adapting Dickens not always with the greatest success obviously David yes. Lean did it brilliantly um, and then obviously uh, it was Oliver which is not I mean I suppose it must count of course it's a Dickens adaptation but it has it's kind of like an amalgam of those two things although it's not a musical it has a very musical quality to it and that it moves along at this pace and it has a rhythm and you're just not, you know, you've all, you, I, I, I almost felt like the film was leaving me behind. It was racing along so quickly. That's a, that's a really good point. I felt actually the same, mm. but I was happy to be along for the ride. Yeah, no, and 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 also it had that. It sort of harks back also to that um, again, old British film quality of every face being recognisable. Mm-hmm. You know, again, growing yeah. up in Britain, you know, you always kind of know. You know, oh, look, there's 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 Richard Wattis, you know, there's Sam Kidd, there's all these names, you know, they're all those. All the, in fact, for most people, to be honest, they weren't even names, were they? They were just faces that you kept right, seeing totally, in the same yeah. films all the time. And and again, and this film kind of because he packed it with, you know, loads and loads of Brits, but from all kinds of backgrounds. It was just an absolute joy to watch, and I thought, yeah, no, I, I loved every minute of it. And and I think the score did a terrific job of doing that thing, especially in a period piece mm. where you're having to world build too, you're having to create this background, this world, so that all these people can exist mm. together. And it's tricky in a comedy. I think that's, I think in Death and Death of Stalin, I think that's why I didn't respond to. I it felt like it was sort of a we're putting on a play. And this felt like I was entering a movie that was a real it existed in its own terms. It didn't. It wasn't a kind of a pastiche, and it wasn't a okay. uh, satire. It felt like it was it was living in its own world. Thank you. 
So the next one on our list, uh, Theodore Shapiro's score for Bombshell, which I think we both picked, actually. Yeah, terrific. And, and I think is a good representation on this, on this list of a smorgasbord. A smorgasbord? A smorgasbord. It's easy for it, you to I, say, but I bet you can't spell it. Yeah. No, don't. Don't. No. It's fine. You don't have to. Yeah. It's spelled... Wait, is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, American American sirens in the background. Sorry. That's all right. That's good. Gives it a bit of bit of color, a bit of flavor. Um, so oh, yeah. this is music by uh, who did I say it was my Theodore Shapiro. Don't really know much about. Oh, he's been around for a while. He has. I mean, I'm learning and, all the time. And these shows, you know, when I've done shows before, I learn all the time about. You know, that's why I say I'm not an expert. I'm I'm kind of learning as I go. But he seems to have been around for. Um, quite some time i had him listed as uh you wrote the music for state and maine back in 2000 and actually you picked a slightly different track than i did but I oh, which picked, one did you pick i then? picked the uh i can't remember what it's called but it's the one with all the um you know oh superman type voices in it <laughs> this sounds a bit like who doesn't love a film score that sounds a bit like the frog chorus yeah you know oh, yeah oh superman what was her name oh it was a hit wasn't it oh superman ha 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 you don't remember, do you? I do not remember. And if oh, I did, I wouldn't. Oh, she was um, married to Lou Reed. Oh, my goodness. I can't think of her name. Oh, this is terrible. People are shouting now at the uh, mm. at the podcast. And they're probably shouting at it anyway. Like, how do I turn this thing off? <laughs> <laughs> Will it ever end? Uh, I'm, trapped under this, I'm trapped under this fallen bookcase. Yeah. So Theodore Shapiro's music for Bombshell and then moving swiftly on because people must be getting slightly tired of us by now. Um, Harry Gregson Williams score for Mulan. Now, I'm conflicted about this because I actually I said there was one I hadn't seen. I haven't seen Mulan, to be honest. Interesting. Mm, Well, Um, because, you know, I obviously have a slight beef with Disney. (laughs) Uh, Disney telly, I call it, not Disney Plus. Um, because obviously that would have helped us enormously in August to stay afloat a bit better. Had they, I, I didn't have so much of a problem. I would obviously prefer them not to have gone straight to Disney Plus, but okay, you've gone to Disney Plus. I respect that decision, but at least give us the chance to show it as well. That's that's what that's what really got to me. And they did the same. We could have saved Christmas with Soul. But they did the same again. So I haven't watched Soul yet, which is a ridiculous holdout. You know, it's just a, yeah. it's an absurd holdout, really. Look, I think everyone gets a uh, you yeah. get a free pass because twenty twenty. 
Yes. I think it's. I think also that thing is going to shake out in twenty one. Of course, yeah. It's seen, I hope Netflix so. is, is maintaining its day and date releasing strategy. Yeah, and I think actually, oddly, that the, the lockdown that we're experiencing now, which is as tough as the first one, um, actually may help us oddly, because um, they people really are going to be fed up with being indoors. They are going to be really fed up with it. And I think cinema will bounce back very strongly for that very reason. Because, you I know, agree. You know, all right, so Netflix go, oh, look at me and all my films. And Disney go, oh, look at me and all my films. And HBO go, look at me and all my And there's an endless, endless list of apps that you're supposed to have. And actually, no, I just want to get out of the house, have a burger and watch a film, you know. I don't need to sit. Have to, my sofa. Yeah, I don't know. Have you, have you seen that? Um, there's a there's a Simpsons where Homer um, he hasn't moved in so long. There's a groove in the sofa. I do remember. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what my sofa's like. It's like, oh my god, you know. No, I think you're totally right. And I think the the shared experience of watching a movie is never gonna no. be something that's that's. I mean, you and I have had this conversation many many yes. times over yeah, the years yeah. about what's coming and how it's going to change and all these mm-hmm. things and i think for sure that it has changed forever yes. but what it's going to become has not yet defined itself no, it hasn't and it will change and you know day, uh, the window has been to use a uh, a phrase of um you know buzzword not buzzword but anyway the to use a use an internal industry phrase the window has been broken and it will never go back to that six month thing again um, which is fine by me. I don't mind. As long as I get a good few weeks out of it, I don't care. And I think ultimately the big, 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 big films will stay in the cinema like they did before. But you know, And also I think, I don't know, it, I'm not saying this in a, such a sweeping statement, but it does feel like your cinema hmm. specifically caters to people who are a little bit streamer yeah. ignorant or streamer yeah, agnostic or streamer Streamer incompetent, I think, <laughs> probably be. Maybe you cut this bit. But, um, uh, no, 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 no. I don't. I mean, they, you know, they're lovely, 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 lovely. But yeah, I mean, we're not the world demographic by a million miles. But I do think, even globally, Disney could have helped a bit with Mulan. They really could, and they could have helped. I mean, Soul. there, there are. I mean, I've heard this from a few people mm. um, on this side of the pond. Yes, who would say there, there is a, there is a kind of a, um, um. There are a group of there. There is a kind of a loyal group of cinema viewers who mm. will go and watch a cinema uh, movie, movie in a cinema mm. for a, you know twenty five bucks, whatever it is, and then will go home and buy it the same week. If they oh, can. absolutely, no, they will. There is and, and enjoy it again and watch yeah, it. yeah, and also, and this is always the mo- one of the most unpopular things I ever say at any meeting ever. <laughs> this, among the many, God, I forgot the my trousers. Uh, <laughs> no, it's. Um, it's uh, that actually statistics show that the people who pirate movies the most are the ones that go to the cinema the most. Now, all right, I'm not I'm not advocating piracy in any way, but I'm just saying that people who love movies go to the movies, and you know that's kind of top and bottom of it. I mean, I could be just fooling myself, I don't know, because you know I'll be selling the big issue outside Waitrose by next Christmas if if they don't. Um, no, but I, no, I think you I think you're totally right, and I I look, I think the, the what, what's great. About uh, about the streamers for for movie makers and, and movies mm. is they're going to make a lot of them. They're going to be making films mm. that necess- aren't necessarily two hundred million dollars each because they still want to make cheaper films. And that's, I think the 
the kind of the more indie filmmaker is going to get a bit more of a look in. So we're going to see some interesting films. Mm. And and if you think the whole the makeup of those streamers is to super serve every single demographic in the world, you're looking at super serving some pretty small niches. Yeah, and that's only good if there's money for them for those films. It's true. It's just it felt like we were a real friend in need at the time. So uh, you know. Um, Mulan, I didn't see. However, I have listened to the score, and I think it's wonderful. If the film is as good as the score, <laughs> and you know, I think Harry Gregson Williams, who wrote the music, um, Mulan, I'm really rubbish at explaining things to people because there may be people listening that don't know about stuff. But uh, Mulan is the sort of live action remake of the cartoon set in China. Um, at I'm not sure exactly what time it would be. It'd be ancient China. Let's say ancient China. <laughs> this sounds this sounds completely waterproof. Yeah, well, I don't know the exact time it's set. It's it's a it's olden a, it's a olden big, times. it's a very um, well known story in China, isn't it? It's not a it's a yes, it yes, is. It is. Um, and I'm actually curious. I'm back to kind of. Mm. I'd be curious to see the translation. I'm curious to see what the yes. what version it is that we've taken to the West, right? Well, American obviously, it probably didn't have um, funny voice dragons in it, <laughs> like the original Disney animated cartoon feature, which you know was very popular actually. And the music in that—I mean, the songs I thought were great, but clearly, culturally, it was a million miles from its uh, its its source. But then that's a yes. Disney thing. I mean, if you start leveling accusations to Disney, well, I'm sorry, you know, the Jungle Book's nothing like Rudyard Kipling, or or Snow White's nothing like the original, you know, Grimm's fairy tales or whatever. You're you're on a hiding to nothing, aren't you? You really are. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, so I haven't. You, I assume you've seen the film. I haven't. I, haven't. I have, and I really enjoyed it. Oh, you I did? As a, oh, okay. Yeah, I did. As a, as a story, I mean, look, it is it, it is what it is. And by the way, I never saw the original animated version. Ah. Well, we uh, did. Interesting. But Ellie is one of Ellie's favourite films, my daughter Ellie's favourite film. So she was like, you know, seven or eight or nine. And it's like kids do, watched it over and over and over and over again. So, um, no, she loved it. But uh, I, did, I, th- I, I, believe, I believe it didn't go down especially well in China, did it? Uh, look, I think there's so many mine, m- yeah. <laughs> mines. Kind of, any, anything about, you know, to, to your point about... Um, about um, cultural appropriation and uh, misunderstanding stories on different uh, Mm. through different lenses Mm. i think this is what are you gonna do yeah i I know i know you're 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 totally stuck isn't you're on a hiding to nothing i think is the best phrase you can come up with i mean i you know with i'm currently working on a show that has some um uh cleopatra in it ah and we've had that conversation that uh, we were having a casting conversation about Cleopatra uh, and how to cast, what you know, what ethnicity is she, mm. where is she from, mm. you know, how mm. much Macedonia, how much Egypt, mm. and then Probably right as we're having that conversation, uh, yeah. um, <laughs> Patty, yes, Patty Jenkins, and oh um, uh, yeah, they're having that conversation right now, aren't they? Yeah. Straight into that freight train, yeah. and mm. it's like you got to see this stuff coming. You have got to be thinking you about have it now. You've you got to really, be prepared really for, do. yeah. Yeah. for having people not not appreciate your point of view and I think that's just where we are and I think it's smart mm. and legitimate yeah I don't think Elizabeth Taylor would fly now would she really <laughs> I don't think so <laughs> I, get, I love a Cleopatra I love that film I'm one of the like 10 people on the planet earth that can happily watch Cleopatra from beginning to end um, 
But Harry Gregson-Williams, who is just one of the best out there, I think, for my money. So uh, we'll leave it there for the time being. That's part one of our um, trudge through some of the film music from 2020. This is, I, I must hasten to add, no, by no means a definitive list. I was surprised when I started working my list out just how much good stuff there was. 
Anyway, please do tune in for the next episode, which will be out in a few days' time. Could be a week. Difficult to say. Because let's face it, time has ceased to have any meaning, hasn't it? But I'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. Something special. Really different. Tastes great. Frankie's spicy pork and beef sausage in a sesame seed roll. Topped with mustard, tomato or fruity sauce. Frankie's, the super hot dog. On sale at the kiosk now. Frankie's from Lyon.